This morning, the topic we're dealing with may seem extreme at one point. And, and I recall when I'd been out of college for about 10 years and my friends were beginning to run so that they encouraged me to start running with them. And they were running three, four, five miles a day. And so I went out and promptly ran a quarter of a mile and collapsed. I thought there was no way that I'm ever going to get a mile in. And eventually I was able to go mile, half mile, and I, until I got to the place that I could run with them. So as we're talking this morning, you may say, man, that is just so extreme. But I'm going to ask you to keep in mind that you've got to start somewhere. And then we move from there and increase what we need to do. About three summers ago, Pam and I went to a concert at the Blossom Center, Music Center, below Cleveland to hear James Taylor in concert. Now, the Blossom Center has a large outdoor amphitheater. It's covered, and it seats somewhere over 5,000 people. And then going up from it is this, this lawn, this grassy area that seats somewhere over 14,000 people. The tickets on the, on the grass are cheaper than the tickets in the amphitheater, so guess where we sat? On the grass. And it's, there we are. It rained that day. So we just covered up and had a great time, James Taylor and us and 10,000 other people. The, it, was, it was a fun day because the, the people there were generally our age, and, and there was 10,000, so it, just, it, was, it was a great time. So when we heard that Rascal Flats was coming to, down to the Blossom Center again, and we thought, hey, we like their music, so let's grab some good friends of ours who are pretty cool people, and they also pastor here in town, and Let's go down and enjoy the concert again. So we decided to go down there, and again, we sat on the grass, and, and we're going to enjoy a great time together. There we are, and that's my beautiful wife. And Everybody say, hi, Pam. There we go. Well, the amazing thing about this was that I was expecting the same demographic, same amount of people. It turned out that actually there were about 20,000 people and most of them were in their ages, in, in the age range of 20 and younger. We were the old people there. I have never seen so many short shorts and cowboy boots in my life. And those were just the guys. It just was amazing. And so, so here we are. And... and and what we discovered was, for most of these people, most of the 20,000 people there, it wasn't the concert they had come for. That was only secondary. Primary was the ability or the, the desire to impress and be accepted. There was this constant movement, this migration. Everybody stalking everybody else. Trying to impress by appearance, by awkward banter, by their drinking abilities and their dance moves. And so the whole time we're seated there. And I've got my friend, and I thought that we were going to just see kind of the same thing we saw before, but no, there's this migration of, of what you just saw the picture on the screen, and, and they just kept moving the entire concert. So I finally leaned over to my friend, and I said, man, I'm so sorry. I thought this would be like James Taylor. He said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, I have so much sermon material now, I can't stand it. It's just so good. <laughs> And so do I. And here's what I want to propose to you today. I want to propose that in our efforts to fight against the evil that hounds us and the injustices that surround us 
the stability of our relationships, that stability will affect our strength and our courage. The question we've got to answer today is who are our allies? It's vitally important that we understand that because it really doesn't matter if you're in your 20s or if you're in your 50s. We still have this migration thing going on. We still like to impress each other. We still like to be accepted. And we're still trying to find that place. And unless we find the firmness of a relationship, we will never be able to be the warriors that God designed for us to be. So I want to address this morning the stability of solid relationships the way that God had designed it to be. In fact, it was Peter, the Apostle Peter, who dealing with the, the community of faith made this statement. First Peter, the fifth chapter, he said this, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. See, Peter understands this whole thing about this lion trying to devour you and him. It was just before Jesus was executed. Hours before that Jesus turned to Peter and said, Satan, this roaring lion, has asked permission to sift you like wheat. Peter understood that analogy because the way that you, you took care of that grain is you'd take the wheat and you'd pound on it till the husks would break off. Then you'd throw it into the air and the wind would catch the chaff and blow it off. Then you'd take the grain that's on the ground and put it violently through a sieve so that all the impurities, the little pieces of dirt and the stones and, and, and pieces of wood would hang up and the rest of it then would be pure. Satan had desired to take him and pound on him and, and shake him violently through a sieve so that he would discover that he still had impurities in his life. He was still hanging on to those things and therefore become so disappointed that he would just quit in his following of Jesus, which is exactly what happened. For even though he said, I will follow you anywhere, and, and he actually tried to defend Jesus in the garden, when the time really came that he needed to stand up for Jesus, he said, I don't know the guy. And you could see how apparent the evil was that was still in him. The old stuff still connected. But Jesus said, understand this. He's asked permission to do that, but I got your back. I'm walking you through this thing, and you'll make it through, which he did. So now he says to all of those friends and to us today in this century, when this enemy and this evil tries to attack you, you stand firm. You be strong. And keep your solidarity. Because the people around you are going through the same issue, issues. They are still feeling the same pain. And the question is, who's got your back? And more importantly, the question is this, whose back are you protecting? Even kings know that's important. David, who was a psalmist, a shepherd, had already been anointed and appointed to succeed King Saul on the throne serving Israel. Samuel the prophet had come and said, you're going to be the guy because God has lifted his presence off of Saul. David already proved his ability to be a warrior for he had saved Israel by defeating a giant. 
When the presence of God had lifted off Saul, evil tormentors came to hound him. They brought David into the palace and said, play the harp because we know that when you play, there is a presence of God that pushes back that evil. And so he would come and play and Saul would find peace. It's one of those moments when the tormentors came back that Saul, in, in a fit of anger, took a spear and tried to pin David against the wall. David said, I don't think I want to be here. And so he ran. He escaped. He went back to the location where Samuel the prophet is. And and my thought is that he went back there just to say, are you sure you had this right? The guy just tried to kill me, and you're telling me I'm king, and now I'm escaping. What's the deal? But Saul chased him there. David then escapes again, and you know where he goes? Amazingly, he goes back to Saul's palace. Why? In trying to escape from this one who had threatened him. In an effort to save his own life, he goes back to his strongest ally. His name is Jonathan, and he just happens to be the son of the king. And here is the conversation they had together when he arrived. 1 Samuel, the 20th chapter. David now fled from Naoth in Ramah and found Jonathan. What have I done? He exclaimed. What is my crime? How have I offended your father that he is so determined to kill me? That's not true, Jonathan protested. You're not going to die. He always tells me everything he's going to do, even the little things. I know my father wouldn't hide something like this from me. It just isn't so. Then David took an oath before Jonathan and said, Your father knows perfectly well about our friendship, so he has said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan why should I hurt him. But I swear to you that I'm only a step away from death. I swear it by the Lord and by my own soul. Tell me what I can do to help you, Jonathan exclaimed. Another translation says, he said it this way, whatever you want me to do for you, I will do. Who says that to you? And to whom do you say that? Because I want to declare to you today that that is the only way that warriors can function that we must be able to define our covenant. It must be clear. So he says, tell me what you want me to do for you, and I will do it. There is the clarification. We must clarify our expectations. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. That's clarity. See, we have friends, but we just call them friends. How you doing? I got friends. Our problem is we never define the friendships. We have these expectations, and when the expectations don't get met, we're bothered, we're ticked off, we're frustrated, we're offended. We we, we say, well, you know, I thought we were good friends, and they didn't even invite me to the wedding. They didn't invite, the, the, the daughter got married, and I didn't even get invited. I thought we were good friends. Have you talked about it? Man, he, he took five other guys to the Indians game and didn't take me. I thought we were good friends. They just packed up and left. I didn't even know he's taking a job in Houston. Didn't even bother to tell us. We thought we were close enough that they would talk, talk that through with us and let us walk with them through it, but they're gone. The question is, did you talk about it? You go, you go say, man, hey, we're guys. We don't talk about that stuff. But that's the problem. We need to express that. You say, but, but it's private. Warfare is not private. I, I want to ask a question. Who of you in this place have been in the military and been in combat. 
Anybody been in combat? Raise your hand. Over here. Joe, Joe, step down here for a moment. I want to talk to you. Come on down. So, Joe, what, what branch of the military were you in? Army Reserves, okay. Come on this way. We'll get in the light so they can see your beautiful physique. All right, here we go. All right, so, <laughs> so and, and where did you fight in battle? Iraq. Iraq, okay. So when you got ready to go to Iraq and, you know, they said you're going to go over there and, and do battle, then the U.S. government came to you and handed you an airplane ticket and just said, hey, just get a flight and go over there and find somebody to fight. Is that how that happened? No. But it's a, it would seem to be a private thing, but it's not. So how did you end up going over there? I mean, who did you go with? I was attached to a unit out of Minnesota. You're attached to a unit out of Minnesota. That's right. And so you, how, many, how many people went with you over there? 170. 170. Did you guys have an understanding of what you're supposed to do when you got there? Yes. You did, right? And so did, did everybody, what were, what were you supposed to be responsible for? Okay, you track convoys to the entire theater. All right? And did other guys have other stuff they're supposed to do? Correct. Okay. And, and what were you depending on with these other, these other troops that were with you? What, what did you depend on them for? That they were telling me the information whether this convoy made it to this destination intact, stuff like that. Okay. So basically, how you related to each other and that your expectations would be met would have a bearing on survival and it really is the best for your life when everybody knows what they're doing so it wasn't a matter of here just go find somebody to fight thank you here's the deal as vital as and important as it is and how scary that must be Jesus said that's just your flesh in fact, he said this, do not be afraid of him who can take your fleshly life, but be fearful and cognizant of the one who can take your soul. Now, if we find that in, in Iraq that you've got to have warriors around you and you have an understanding of what each other is doing and how they're protecting you, do you not think that more importantly, as Jesus said, that we need to have warriors around us who protect our lives, our soul, our very spirit, our families? But we say it's just so private. I believe that we bleed too much because we fight alone. In the church, we bleed too much. Can I hear you say this? Oh, man, I just wish somebody would care. And I want to say, who have you talked to and built a relationship with who's warring with you? Oh, my marriage has fallen apart. Well, who did you invite to walk with you in your marriage who's, who's fighting for you? Well, I thought I'd call a pastor, but he wasn't in. Well, excuse me. I'm telling you, you've got to have warriors around you, and they're sitting around you. Man, we're having a tough time with our teenager, and, and all my parents are just driving me crazy. Who have you talked to? Who have you made warriors around you that will walk with you, not just listen to your whining, but say, let's do some battle here? What are you doing with the warriors that are around you? Because I'm going to tell you, times are getting intense. I was talking with a friend yesterday 
who's just starting out in his career, and we talked about retirement, and he said, do you think I need retirement because I think Jesus is coming soon? And I said, well, I thought that too, but I think you're a lot closer. You're getting a lot closer. And here's the deal. Things are getting worse. In fact, the scripture says in the end days that it's just going to be a horrible thing. And so are you going to do this because it's private? You've got to have the warriors around you. This is not a private affair. So David and Jonathan defined their covenant. In fact, it was right after David had killed Goliath, this took place. 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Look at that phrase. That's incredible. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house because of the connection that he had with Jonathan. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own, what? His own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. He said, I... I want us to recognize, he said, what it is that we're doing here. Those two phrases, he, he, he knit his soul to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved David as his own soul. That's an incredible wording there. It, it, it really, they're tied together by that word soul. There are some who look at this passage and say that they loved each other and therefore they were homosexual. It's not even the word that would be used for that. That word is used in, in, in that kind of expression and that sexual experience would have been used in, in Genesis as Adam knowing Eve. That word's not used. What is used here is a word meaning an intense affection in a healthy manner, but not just including the feelings, but possessions and all of life connected together. And they said, let's make a covenant. I want to use a couple of guys this morning to help me. They don't even know I'm calling on them. They won't have to do anything but just stand there and look pretty. So... Adam Phrase, come on up here and just, just stand right there if you will. Are you here? Yeah, come on up here. All right. And then Gary Sims, come on. And Don, can you hand me this? What's that? <laughs> come on up on the stage. Can you put this robe on? Because you're going to be Jonathan. You're royalty. Yes, yes, you are. Okay, very nice. And here's, here's your weapon. You are David. You kill giants, and your dad is weird. Okay. You know my family? <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right, so here's the deal. They come together. Their, their, their soul has been knit together. They understand that there is, there's something happening there, and they want to declare what that is. So here's what Jonathan does, and then David will do it and reciprocate it. So let me hold your, your weapon here. So he takes off his robe, and he puts it on David. Now, as he does this, this is an incredible thing that transpires at this moment. Because these two are in a covenant relationship beginning right now, they're both covenant heads. Whatever they say for each other now will pass down to their children and their children's children. The agreement they make will go forever. They will also, because they want this to be a covenant, and the word covenant means to cut a covenant, they will slice either their hand or someplace on their arm, and they will grab hands together, and their blood will mingle together. So just, just do a little, there you go. So the blood's going to mingle together saying, we are now one. 
It's the Kata Covenant. Now, when he puts the robe on him, this is the declaration. I'm taking all that I have in my estate, and I'm putting it on you, and we now share everything I own. All my possessions are now yours. You guys can quit holding hands now. There you go. All, all my possessions are now yours. All my debts are now yours. You get it all. And in this case, because he is next in line for the kingdom, according to what the culture would be, he has now just transferred the right to that kingdom to David. All those possessions. And David will do the same to him so that now it is as one. He will take his weapon and he will hand it to David. By doing so, what he's saying is this. I will protect you and your family from now on. Your enemies are my enemies. Your allies are now my allies. It is taking your most precious possessions and handing them to another and saying, I'm trusting you to protect me. I'm trusting you to take hold of this, for this will take place between you and me, and if it doesn't, may I be cut off from life if I do not follow through. This is a vow before God. And it must be carried on. Thanks, guys. Thank you. We can just take that down and wear it. It'd be nice. Define your closest relationships. What is it that you're expecting from those people? You've got some friends who are your decompression friends. They're the ones that you say, we just hang out and I can just be who I am and I can just relax. Then define it that way. You have some friends who are there to kick you in the seat of the pants when you aren't doing what you're supposed to be doing. You need those friends who will just haul off and smack you and say, get going, I'm not feeling sorry for you. You have some who should shape you, mentors, who you say, here's my life, help me become what I need to be, define it. But somewhere in all of that, you should find at least one and maybe more than one whom you can take your entire life and say, here, I trust you with my life. And all that I am. Those are true warriors. We are missing our strength when we don't find those we trust enough to share what is precious to us. This is not a private deal. Bruce Feiler is a New York Times best selling author. That's he and his twins. He wrote a letter to six friends. He actually wrote a book as a result of it, and here's what his letter said. I'm going to be a part of the letter. Dear, and to each of those six he wrote, As you know, I recently learned that I have a seven-inch tumor in my leg. That afternoon, Tybee and Eden, who had just turned three, came running to greet me, laughing, giggling, and falling to the ground. I crumbled. I kept imagining all the walks I might not take with them, the ballet recitals I might not see, the boyfriends I might not scowl at, and the aisles I might not walk down. Would they wonder who I was? I thought. Would they yearn for my approval, my love, my voice? A few days later, I imagined a way that I might give them my voice. I would reach out to six men from all parts of my life, beginning when I was a child and continuing through today. These are the men who know me best, the men who share my values, the men who know my voice. I believe my daughters will have plenty of opportunities in their lives. 
They'll have loving families. They'll have each other. But they may not have me. They may not have their dad. Will you help be their dad? Will you answer these questions? Will you go to a soccer game? Will you give them advice? Will you tell them what I would be thinking? Will you tell them how proud I would be? Will you be my voice? And I decided to call this group of men the Council of Dads. He said, when I die, if I die, I need someone to teach my children how to travel. I need someone to teach them and help them in their homework. I need someone to take them to a ball game. I need someone to to give them wisdom when they get married. And I may not be there. Will you take my most prized possession and will you war with me on their behalf? He didn't die, but he kept his counsel. And they meet together all the time so that those girls can hear the voice of those warriors walking with him. Who are your warriors? We have got to define our covenant. Who do you say to? Whatever you need me to do, I'll do that for you. You say, but... Jack, that's just, that's just, that's so wide open. That's scary because it may ask me something that, that is really terrifically difficult. You see, if you're a warrior, you've got to have this defined covenant. And if you have a defined covenant, you need to understand that you must and I must pay the cost. So Jonathan believes that his father is not going to hurt David. David says, I swear to you that he is. And so they concoct this way to determine what is in the heart of Saul. The celebration for the new moon has come upon them, and there's always a celebration in the palace, and David is expected to be at the palace for the celebration of the new moon. So they said this. David said, I'm not going to go, and for three days I will not attend. And when Saul discovers that I am not there, you explain to him that I went to a celebration in my hometown of Bethlehem. And if he's okay with that and he's really chilled about it, then everything's good. But if he gets angry and threatens, then you know that he still is determined to kill me. And you'll come back and tell me, and I'll hide out here by these pile of rocks in this field. So the first day of the of this celebration, Saul's looking and, and does not see David, but figures he's just late getting in. The second day he realizes David must not be coming. So he turns to his son, Jonathan, and says, where is David? Jonathan says, well, I gave him permission to go celebrate with his family this celebration in his hometown of Bethlehem. Saul becomes incensed. He screams at his son, you are a son of a rebellious slut. Literally translated, you are a bastard. He takes the spear and he throws it at his son Jonathan to try to pin him to the wall. Jonathan realizes the answer to the question. He goes back out to the field and the prearranged signal was this, that he would take with him a servant boy and, he would sh- and Jonathan would shoot some arrows toward the direction of where David was hiding. And if he said to the young man to find the arrows, he would say to him, oh, it's on this side over here, that would be a sign that everything is okay. But if he said, no, the arrows went beyond the pile of rocks, then David knew, run for your life. Jonathan came out, he shot the arrow, and he said to the servant boy, no, 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 the arrows are beyond the pile. 
And David knew he must run. Jonathan said to the young man that was assisting him, he said, take the bow and the arrows and head back to the palace. And then David waited and came out. He bowed before Jonathan. They embraced each other. They cried. They kissed each other on the cheek, knowing this would be the last time that they would see each other. What is amazing about this relationship is what happened before the celebration of the new moon. This is what Jonathan said because of this covenant relationship. May the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. That anointing of my father be yours now. And may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a solemn pact with David, saying, May the Lord destroy all your enemies. May you have God's power on you, and if I die, you are now responsible for my family. And may the Lord destroy all your enemies. Do you hear what he's saying? He is saying here, May God's best be done for you, even while I know the cost, because I know my father is your enemy, and I've just declared that God will destroy your enemies. My father will die, and more than likely than I will die, and the kingdom will come in your hands, but I'm okay with that because I'm at peace with this covenant. It's right, and I'm willing to pay that price. See, our covenant will be tested. We have a lady in this church who in a couple months will be honored as a woman of courage in this city. She's gone through an amazing amount of bouts of cancer, and she continues to to do her best to serve children in this community, and so they're going to honor her, and we're very proud of her. But there is someone who stands next to her. If you see her, you see this person standing next to her who has covenanted with her to walk her through her battle. She gives her time. She gives her emotional energy. She's with her when she is disappointed in the diagnosis. And she's with her when they feel like they've overcome. She's given everything that she has to walk with this person. So when, when our friend is declared a courageous woman, understand it's only because there's a friend next to her willing to pay the price. They are warriors together. Covenant will cost us. It may cost you your money. It may cost you your sleep. It may cost you, it may cost you your, your emotional well-being. It may, it may cost you a thousand ways, but you say, I've made this covenant and I will follow through with it. And see, our problem with that is this. We have so many options in our life today that we don't like to commit because what if something better comes along? Now, I don't want to commit to that because I could get a better, better option. I could get a better deal. I want to propose to you this morning that as long as we live life that way, the better thing will not come along. Because the better thing is a soul-to-soul connection. For the kingdom of God is the kingdom of right relationships. And I think that without this soul-to-soul connection, the church in America will remain weak. And we will not have the strength and the courage to fight because we are so separated from each other. Where we live today and in the world we live today and what's transpiring in America declares that we must be warriors together and it will never happen unless we begin to pay the price for each other and say, I will walk with you no matter what. You can't do it alone. That's why so many of you are suffering and some are just wandering away because they don't feel that they are surrounded by those who will protect them and they never bothered to ask. So I beg you, pay the price 
and fulfill our promise. Jonathan said, treat me and my family with the faithful love of the Lord. Saul and Jonathan died in battle with the Philistines. David came into the city, established his throne. And sometime in the months that followed, as things were being put in order, he asked a very peculiar question. Because understand that it was generally accepted that when a new king rose up, he would destroy the family of those who lived there so he would have no opposition in the future. And so David asked this question in 2 Samuel the ninth chapter. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? One of the servants said, well, yeah, there's, there's this, this son of Jonathan out in the wilderness in a place called Lodibar. Now, you see, understand that when David came into Jerusalem, when he came in to take over the throne, that, that everyone was scurrying out, and, and Jonathan had a child named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth's nursemaid took hold of him and carried him out of the palace in a hurry before he would be killed, she thought. And on the way, she dropped him, he crushed his legs, and he remained crippled from that point on. So there he is out in Lodibar in the wilderness. He is crippled. And you've got to think that as he's growing up, he's thinking in his mind. Because when David asked this, it was, it was several years beyond when he finally realized that he needed to take care of Jonathan's kids. And so, if, 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 I'm, if I'm a Phibosheth and I'm growing up, I'm thinking, what's with this guy that destroyed my life and made me a cripple? And, and I think I would, be, I would be full of hatred. I would, I would be angry. I would, I would even want to kill the guy who, who was responsible, I would think, for the death of my father and my grandfather. David finds out that Mephibosheth is out in Lodibar and he sends out troops and they surround the place and you can just imagine the terror that must have struck into Mephibosheth's heart realizing that he's been found out. They bring him back to the palace and David comes to him and, and he says, are you Mephibosheth? He says, yes. And, and the scripture says that Mephibosheth says, I am a dead dog. What do you do with dead dogs? You just throw them on the trash because I'm, I'm a goner. And David makes this incredible statement. He says, everything that belonged to your father the land, the servants, the resources now belong to you. In addition to that, you will sit at my personal table to eat every day because now you are my son. And I can just imagine that there are some people traveling through that come to have dinner there and they eat with David and they look over and they see Mephibosheth and they know who Mephibosheth is and they say to him, hey man, what are you doing here? This is, this is your, your enemy. This is the guy you hated. This is the guy you wanted to die. What are you doing here? He said, he brought me in. He, he said, I can have everything that my father owned. They said, well, you don't deserve that. He said, I know I don't deserve it. And then he might point over to David as David is reaching over to, to grab, grab a leg of lamb. And, and as he does, he says, see that mark on his arm? That's the covenant. And so I don't deserve it. And I didn't earn it but I get it because he had a covenant with my father and I had to put my faith in that covenant and now I enjoy the best. David said, would you love me and my family as the Lord loves me? Because you sit and I sit at the table of the Lord Jesus. 
the one we rebelled against, the one that we, we didn't care for, the one that we offended. And the enemy says to you as you sit here at his table, he says, aren't you the one that offended God so much? Why are you here enjoying all that God has for you? And you point to Jesus and you say, see the mark on his hand? It's the covenant. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. But it was the agreement Jesus made with the Father. And I just had to put my faith in the covenant. And I get all of this from God. It is what a covenant is. It is that mark. And the question is, can we serve each other that way? The way that was demonstrated by David and Jonathan, the way that Jesus demonstrated it to us, can you serve each other that way? Because we, we've got to. We're not going to make it if we don't. If we're going to not only survive but thrive, then let me give you some steps that I'm going to encourage you to start to take now. Simply do this. To find your allies, to see where your soul connections are, Define your covenant. Talk it over. I had a friend once that I met in Boise, Idaho at the Red Robin. He, he invited me out, and we were friends, and he said, Hey, look, I want to be a really close friend, and here's what I want this friendship to be like. I said, Paul, I've never had any guy ever ask me to go steady. This is amazing. <laughs> and we, our families knit together. I'm telling you, you've got to talk this stuff over. What is my expectation of friendship? And you may want a, a type of friendship with someone who's, who's not in the soul-to-soul soul, soul connection with you. Don't be offended at them. It's not working. But look, God's going to bring somebody to you. Define your covenant. What's the promise of this relationship? Invest your life. It's going to take time. You just, you just can't just say, I don't have time. You must invest. And then let's keep our word. Because I got to know. I got to know that when I need you, you're going to be there. You got to know that when you need me, I'm going to be there. I'll drop everything. I have friends right now that if I called them right now, no matter what, they would drop what they're doing and fly here to be with me. How do you know that? Because we've talked about it. And that's the way that God designed us to be warriors. And if we'll do that, we will find our strength and we will find our courage. Would you stand, please? Before I pray a blessing on you, I want to say to you that are here today and you don't know much about a relationship with God through Jesus, what I just described to you is the covenant relationship that God has with you if you put your faith in that covenant. The scripture says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, faithful to the covenant and just to forgive us for our sins and cleanse us from all impurity. You can today say, Jesus, I want to put my faith in that covenant. And if you're going to do that today, we want to help walk you on that journey. And so before you leave, just stop out at the West Service Center in the main lobby, and they have some information to tell you on how to walk that journey, and they'll get you connected with people who will walk with you, who will fight with you. I also want to say to you today that if, that if you're battling or you want to make a declaration about being a warrior, we want you to contact us. And so many of you are doing that, and we're getting you connected with the people who are walking with you. I want you to connect with us at, at warrior at eriefirst.org. It's listed in your notes. And let us walk with you. Now, may you today 
be so aware of the design that God has for you. May you see the people around you and understand your relationship with them, and may you affirm and confirm the soul connections you have, and may you do battle with each other and find victory together. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.